Well, this evening we have, um, thankfully, I, I, um, I, I have a, a message prepared, and it's titled, The Best is Yet to Come. So I guess we better, better look into it, right? We better see what, what, um, what God has in store for us tonight. And um, we're going to be talking about what God has planned for His children. And I love to share this. I love to talk about this part of Bible prophecy. Um, listen, there's a lot of things that we've seen that have been very certain. And I hope by the time we've gone through this far in the series that, that you recognize with me that Revelation isn't really intended by God to be a scary book to intimidate us or to frighten us. But really, it's a book full of hope, and it's a book full of good news. And uh, even though there's some very certain things, there's some powers that rise and fall, the best news is still in the future. The best is yet to come. And this is what, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It sounds as though Paul is saying, look, we can't even imagine... We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. We haven't seen it. We haven't been there for ourselves. And so we don't have any idea what that is going to be like. But yet, I'm thankful that he continues. And he says a little later in the same chapter, in fact, the next verse, he says, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. And so tonight we're going to be looking at how God has revealed to us what is are his plans for the future? What are his plans for the, uh, the eternity that you and I want to be a part of? Do you know that the Bible is full of details about heaven? Um, God wants us to know what heaven is like. I think he wants us to, to have every motivation possible to be a part of his plan for us. He's given us in his word a reliable source of information about what is in store for us. Um, Peter um, describes uh, it this way, when he says in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. God has revealed in his word where heaven will be, what heaven will be like, where its capital will be, what people will do there, uh, where, what the, where the saved will live, um, what the capital city will look like. Um, let's take God's word and uh, look in the prophecies, not just of Daniel and Revelation, but other prophets as well, and let's try to discover the very real future that God has prepared, prepared for his, his children. Are you interested in that tonight? Would you like to, like to look at that together? Well, let's, let's begin by looking in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and God himself revealed to John a picture of the future. John wrote in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. He continues on and he says in verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now there are very few things that are more beautiful than a bride preparing for her wedding day, right? And, of course, I'm a little biased, I think. Uh, uh, well, anyway, but that's how special this place called heaven is going to be. God has, he, he says, it, it, if you want to have a, a climactic a moment, it's when those doors open in the back of the church and you haven't seen your bride, that dress yet, and, and all of a sudden, wow, 
What a view, what a sight, what, an, what a moment. And that's what, that's what God is trying to say He's looking forward to when we are reunited with Him, when we and the New Jerusalem are united to uh, this earth. So He says, I saw the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, this heavenly home is not something that only John saw. Many of God's prophets throughout the ages have known about it. In fact, we can look in Acts chapter 3 in verse 20 and 21. It says, And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive, until the times of restoration all of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Did you catch what it says here in Acts Acts says, look, look, the, the, the whole point of the plan of salvation is to restore everything back. He said, Rest restoration of all things. And every prophet since the world began has been trying to give us an idea of what that is about, what that means. Aren't you glad that God wants to restore all things? Aren't you glad he's not going to have some parts of the universe that are still reminders of sin, still, still maybe some sort of a, a decaying, dying place, or maybe a pain center where people are still in pain? Aren't you glad that the Bible says he's going to restore all things? Restore all things? And that's been the testimony of the prophets since the world began. What is God going to restore? He's going to restore all things. He's going to make it like it was in the beginning. He's going to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost through sin. The earth came from the Creator in perfect splendor and beauty. And the Creator Himself had designed and decorated Adam and Eve's home, the Garden of Eden. He had made it a paradise. God gave them dominion over all the earth. Everything was perfect. They had perfect health, perfect love, perfect happiness, joy. And they had face-to-face -face communion and a relationship with God Himself. What an amazing paradise. Everything was peace and harmony. They would not get sick or die if they chose to obey God's instructions. And his instructions, you remember, were don't eat the fruit, the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. But they chose to eat of that fruit. They listened to the deceiver. They listened to the serpent instead of listening to the loving and caring God. And, you know, really, really... This issue extends far before Daniel chapter 1, doesn't it? What's the main issue we found in the early chapters of Daniel? Who are you going to obey? Going to obey? It, always, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? Who are you going to obey? Are you going to obey what God says? Or are you going to obey what I think? Um, and that's, that's the decision that you and I still have to make today. So by their disobedience, they lost everything. Their garden home, their dominion of earth, access to the tree of life... No longer did they have eternal life. Their happiness, love, and their face-to-face -face fellowship with the Creator would come to an end. Our perfect world became blighted with the curse of sin. Earth became a place of sorrow and suffering, and I don't have to tell any of you about that tonight. We live in a broken world with hurting people, with broken hearts and pain that is indescribable. Earth became a place of disease and death. No longer masters. Adam and Eve became servants of sin. They, become, they became slaves. Because that's what Romans chapter 6 tells us. Romans 6 and verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? 
You see, God wanted Adam and Eve to be free, but once they began to listen to Satan and follow his instructions, as they were helpless to stop obeying him, they became slaves to sin. But thankfully, God had a plan. Aren't you glad God had a plan? And God's plan was to set man free from the slavery of sin. At the gates of the Garden of Eden, God promised Adam and Eve that one day his son, the seed of the woman, would come and die for them so that they could be restored to the family of God and have eternal life. He said to that servant, you remember in Genesis 3 and verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And as generations passed and men multiplied on the earth, sin also multiplied to the point where mankind began to, to almost completely forget about God. The devil brought false religions and false ideas. Paganism swept over the world. The world became vile and immoral, and the Lord even saw that in order to save the truth and to save his followers, the world was going to have to be destroyed. And you remember the story, how the Lord saw that Every intent of the heart, man's hearts, uh, the thoughts of a man's hearts were only evil continually. And it became necessary for the flood to preserve life and truth on the earth. Only eight people survived. And you might think that that would sort of put a damper on the rebellion against God. You'd think, wouldn't you? But it didn't take very long. Do you realize that Abraham and Noah were contemporaries? Abraham lived um, at least 75 years while Noah was still alive. And yet, by the time Abraham was leaving Ur of the Chaldees, this population on earth had again become so forgetful of the God of heaven, the creator God, that God said, I've got to do something again. I've got to find somebody that will preserve the truth in his family. And he chose Abraham because he said, I know Abraham will teach his children that he'll keep my commandments and walk in my ways. And so he called Abraham and his family out of the idolatrous and corrupt Ur of the Chaldees. His family also, no doubt, would have become wicked if they had stayed in that city. Because you know where we stay, where we are, has an influence over us, right? I think that's why we saw last night God calls his people out of, out of spiritual Babylon. Because if we're not careful, we become affected the way we think and the way we rationalize and we, we compromise. And so that luxurious city, Ur of the Chaldees, a great city of the day, and yet Ur, uh, Abraham was to leave, and he left not even knowing where he was going. I, I have to be careful tonight because I'm not preaching about Abraham, but I, have, uh, I, I love studying the life of Abraham. In fact, um, Abraham is called the father of the faithful. It's a remarkable title when you stop and think about it. He, he was so singular in his faithfulness to God that he became the representative of the faithful of all ages. That's amazing. Amazing. He stood alone in the whole world. The whole world, nobody understood him. Read his stories. I'm getting off the subject. Um, but that's Abraham. And, and God said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. So Abraham had to leave Ur of the Chaldees and he was willing to leave his comfortable home. He didn't know where he was going, but he did have a glimpse of what God had in store for him. God had given him what? He didn't give him a bank account. He didn't give him, he didn't give him a, you know, a bunch of gold bricks or something. He gave him a promise. He gave him his word. He left Ur of the Chaldees based on the promises of God's word. 
he lived by faith and he followed what God asked him to do. The Bible says, By faith he dwelled in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, for Abraham, we think that was a great act of faith for him to leave Ur of the Chaldees. But no, Abraham was su such a monumental man of faith that Abraham was not even worried about the country that he would inherit here. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And he was willing to say, look, I'm a pilgrim here. Even if I live alone, what's, what's my life? A hundred years, 220 years? I, even if I spent that whole life in this earth, a pilgrim and a stranger, it's worth it because I'm heading for another country, a better city, a better country. Um, and so the prophets of all ages believed and looked forward to the restoration of all things. Abraham, all the way back here, during the time of Noah, soon after the flood, Abraham is looking forward to the restoration of all things. He's looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. And so in, the, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, God lists some of the Bible's hall of faith. Abraham and Enoch and Noah and Abel and Isaac and Rahab, David and Samuel are just a few of the great people of faith that are mentioned in this, uh, in this chapter. These people believed God's promise to restore what Adam and Eve lost. Notice what God says about these heroes of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and embraced them. So here in Hebrews 11 verse 13 it says, These died in faith not having seen the reality of what they had been promised. They didn't see that city. They didn't see that country. They died in faith still believing that even though they had gotten old and, and, and free, feeble and, and would, would pass into the grave, that God was still able to, to be faithful to His promises that that city would come. We continue on in verse 16. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Oh, what a wonderful passage. God is not ashamed to be called their God because He has prepared a city for them. You know, that's what Jesus said, isn't it? I go to prepare a place for you. That's what the Old Testament heroes of faith believed. Even before Jesus came, they knew that God was going to restore all things. And they weren't worried about the things of this world. They weren't worried about how popular they were or how many people thought they were crazy for moving out of Ur of the Chaldees and going. Well, I'm not sure where we're going, but we're going. God said, listen, they said, it doesn't matter what people think. What matters is what God thinks. That's the old fear of God that was in their hearts. And so the, uh, the gospel uh, was not just given in the time of Christ, but the Old Testament also makes clear that all the prophets since the world began testified of the restoration of all things. And I want, to turn, I want you to turn with me to the prophet Isaiah now. We're going to look at some passages from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65 first. We're going to work a little bit backwards, I guess you might say, through Isaiah here for the next few minutes. Beginning in Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah is known as the gospel prophet. 
He's the one who spent a lot of time predicting the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus for you and me. Um, he's the one that tells in Isaiah 53 of Jesus coming as a lamb to the slaughter, right? Isaiah chapter 65, and we're going to begin reading in verse 17. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17. And this is what Isaiah is uh, saying. Uh, he's uh, giving a message for God. God is speaking. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. By the way, this is quoted in Revelation chapter 20. We don't have time to maybe identify all of the passages that are quoted in Revelation. But I remember, remember I told you at the beginning of the seminar that Revelation is 75% quotations from the Old Testament. And so here's a passage that's quoted in a number of places in the book of Revelation. Uh, I behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mine. Verse 18, but be ye glad... And rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now I want to just stop here. And this is an area which we haven't had time to really explore. It's something that we, we, I wish we could. And maybe in our upcoming um, nights, if we, can, if we can spend some more time together, we could look into this. But... There's some, there's some people who read these Bible passages and they see that as speaking of literal Jerusalem as in the city over there in the Middle East. Now, when I read these Bible passages, I look at them a little bit differently. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe that after the cross, the Jews were still given an opportunity to take the message of Jesus, the Messiah, to the world. They failed to take that opportunity. And because they failed to take that opportunity, rejecting Jesus and eventually rejecting and even killing his followers, they, they were passed by as the special representative people of God on earth. Does that make sense? When I, I could use the word church, but in fact, last night, I think I did sort of use that word. God's church on earth is, is, is those people who, who have been entrusted with the truth to take to the world, right? And the Jews had been entrusted with that very clearly. They were to be a blessing to all nations, that's what, that's what their, God's intention was for them. They instead kept it to themselves. They misinterpreted the prophecies. They misapplied the prophecies of his second coming, applied it to the first coming. And, and they rejected Jesus. They killed his followers. They killed him and his followers. And after the stoning of Stephen, the Bible records that the gospel began to be pre preached to the Gentiles all over the world. Now, why was that? Paul had a hard time, but he worked to, to help the Christian believers understand this. If you read in Paul's epistles, he says things like this. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, it hadn't been that way before. But now he says those who are Christ's are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are you with me on that? So what happened when the Jewish nation were bypassed because they, listen, if you haven't noticed, the Jews aren't the ones telling the truth about Jesus in the world today. They aren't the ones taking the message for the last days about Jesus coming. God moved from the Jewish nation to anyone, Jew or Gentile, who confessed Jesus Christ. And they are heirs according to the promises. They are the heirs of the promises of Jacob and Esau, or Jacob and Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. So what happens is, when we read the Old Testament prophecies, we know that God would have intended, God would have intended for Jerusalem to be the center of light emanating around the world. He would have intended for that, but it didn't happen that way. So does that mean the prophecies fail? Not actually. 
Just like the New Testament tells us that we can be spiritual Jews even though we're not literal Jews, the prophecies become fulfilled by the church. You see, spiritual Israel, the spiritual city, the, the body of Christ, they become the, the, uh, the, uh, the ones who fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. So without going into further detail, I just want you to understand that when he's talking here about Jerusalem, he probably was hoping, Isaiah was hoping that Jerusalem would be the one that would be the center of the world where Christ's kingdom itself could be, uh, could be set up, but it wasn't. And so um, he's now speaking of the fulfillment, the eventual fulfillment that will take place in the spiritual Jerusalem, which will be the new Jerusalem. Amen? That's the city of God. So he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem, verse 19, and joy in my people, and the joy of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man who has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Verse 21 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the works of their hands. This is, these are all promises that God wanted to see literally fulfilled in physical Jerusalem, but which are going to be fulfilled, friends spiritually in the new Jerusalem, through God's people, through spiritual Israel. What a wonderful promise. What wonderful promises we see here. Let's look back a few chapters. Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 18. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 18. And this is another promise that I believe will be fulfilled. I don't think it's ever been fulfilled in physical Jerusalem, but it will be fulfilled in the spiritual new Jerusalem. Isaiah 60 and verse 18, it says, Violence shall no more be heard in the land, wasting or destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful to think of a place where there's no more crime? You never have to worry about your safety. You never have to worry about being scammed or, or, or defrauded or, 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 or cheated out of anything because... This is the promise that God has of the new earth. Look with me back all the way to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6. Probably a familiar prophecy of the new earth to many of us. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6. And this is what it says. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Lo, oh my, what, I, I love animals, and I'm looking forward in heaven to being able to have a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's something majestic about a lion. There's something majestic about a big cat. Any of you ever been around big cats? It's just something majestic. In fact, um, well... Another story for another time. Um, God has something great prepared for us. Just think, no violence there. Just peace and harmony. No need to find weapons to defend and protect ourselves. No rapists or thieves. Won't it be wonderful to walk on streets paved with gold and not worry about being attacked or robbed? Not only will the world around us be restored to its original perfection, but we too will have restored and healthy bodies. Listen again to what Isaiah says. Isaiah says in Isaiah 33, 24, and the inhabitants shall not say, what? I am sick. No one's going to call in sick in heaven. 
No one's going to ever say, I'm sick. I don't feel well today. You know, my aches and my pains. Never again. Isn't that glorious? Isn't it amazing to think that in heaven we will have perfect bodies, perfect immune systems, if we need them, I guess. And um, the Bible even says in Isaiah 35 and verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine people just like in the days of Jesus who had never seen anything in their life, but when that resurrection morning comes and the blind can see, can you imagine how wonderful it will be to be in heaven? And some of us, we, uh, we may be able to see, but our eyes aren't as good as they used to be. Or isn't it going to be fun? I mean, I know I have a little bit of an out-of-control imagination sometimes, but I can just imagine some people at the second coming standing there. And they're so excited and they're watching the heavens opening up and, and, and Jesus himself is coming and 10,000 times 10,000 of his angels and, and the earth is reeling and they're excited and they're looking up and they're smiling and all of a sudden everything becomes fuzzy. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. Our eyes are supposed to be butter. And then they realize, oh, I have to take my glasses off now, you see. Um, <laughs> That's going to be fun to watch, isn't it? I mean, I think it'll be really fun to watch. Be like, what's wrong? Like, I'm supposed to be getting better. What's wrong? And Oh, I see. I've got to take the glasses off. Yeah. You see, God's going to make all things new. All of us are going to have perfect vision and perfect eyesight. And they won't, the, the deaf, the, the blind won't be alone. The, the Bible says the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. People who have never heard anything, perhaps. People whose ears are, are getting a little... Um, difficult to hear, all of a sudden they're going to be able to hear a pin drop on the other side of the room. Perfect hearing, perfect vision, just the way God made us. I suppose, I suppose our eyes today are a far cry, even at 2020 or whatever we call, our eyes today are a far cry from what they should be, you know, to be able to just, we should probably have eyes that work somewhat like telescopes on one end of the spectrum and microscopes on the other end of the spectrum, right? And just be able to look up from, from that atom and look over to that mountain, you know? And just, wow, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us. What a glorious day it's going to be. The Bible continues, verse 6 says, Then shall the lame man leap as a heart or a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. No more wheelchairs, no more crutches, no more canes, no more, no more braces. Everyone will have perfect bodies. The tongue of, tongue of the dumb will sing. Not only will they talk, but they will sing. I suppose if the tongue of the dumb will sing, then perhaps even those of us who can't carry a tune in a bucket with a lid on today will be able to sing too, right? Um, so that's the promise that we have to look forward to. What a happy day that will be. But there's even more wonderful news. There's even better news that we find in the Word of God. The Word of God continues, and it tells us not only does He have a wonderful thing prepared for us in that heavenly place, but He Himself is going to be with us. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity we're going to have to not only experience this perfect world and these perfect bodies, but we're going to experience it with our Savior and with the, with the, with the redeemed of all ages. And so we're going to have this opportunity. I mean, whew, can you imagine... 
Can you imagine joining a worship service with the whole angel choir and the redeemed of all ages singing together, singing songs composed especially for that event? I imagine, you know, listen, oh, I, I get carried away here, but eternity is so long, friends. Eternity is so long that we can have a song service in the New Jerusalem, everyone together. We can have a song service and, and we can say, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, I want the next song to be about my experience, the next verse to be about my experience, right? And, um, and so Jesus, I can see him. You think Jesus knows music? Oh, of course. And you think Jesus can put together a good verse? I believe he could. And can you imagine if Jesus sat down at whatever the instrument would be and, and, and writes? We won't need to write it down because we'll have perfect memories, you see. So once he tells us what the words are, we'll know it. We'll never forget it. Oh, man, what a, what a wonderful thing that'll be. But can you imagine Jesus writing a verse telling your testimony? And then the whole, the whole assembled throng sings your song, your story. Can you imagine? I mean, I, it, gets, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. I can't imagine what it'll be to hear it. Um, and Phil, I imagine most of us, we won't be able to keep our emotions in check at that point. Not because we're sad in the, in the New Jerusalem, but because God has been so good to us. And we love him so much. And eternity is so long. Get this. Eternity is so long that we could have a whole composition party and sing a song for every single person saved. Even if it took, even if it took a month. Long verse, right? Even if it just took an hour, it doesn't matter. Just remember, eternity is so long that by the time we, singing, start, we, we finish singing a verse about every single person's experience, we have just as much time left over as when we started. It's true. It's true. It doesn't matter if it takes a million years. You, you don't have any less time than when you started. That's how long eternity is. And so the Bible says we're going to gather together. We're going to come to worship God. In fact, this is how it's described in Isaiah 35, verse 10. The redeemed or the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with what? With singing, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be. It will be a wonderful, joyful celebration as the saved come each Sabbath to the holy city to praise and sing and have fellowship. Jesus said he's building us each a mansion. We'll enjoy that too, but Isaiah says that we'll build our own houses. And I imagine that Jesus is building us a mansion in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which remember is going to come out of God come down from heaven out of God, right? And it's going to land here on this earth. It's going to be the new center of the universe, right here on lowly planet earth. But then when God recreates the earth, brand new as it was supposed to be in the beginning, we'll have the opportunity to build our country homes. Maybe you've already thought about what kind of dream home you'd like to build. We think sometimes about dream homes here on this wor in this world. Listen, friends, there we're going to have dream homes. You know, if you like the mountains, you can have one right on the very top. If you like the lake, the water, it doesn't matter what you can. I imagine Jesus could probably take special orders 
Jesus, I'd like a piece of property, and you can just tell them exactly how it needs to be. The stream and the trees and, oh, can you imagine? What, what, a, what, a, what, a, fun, what a fun world it will be. And uh, the Bible picture of heaven is quite clear. Earth is planted in rebellion, fallen by sin, will become the capital of the whole universe. Jesus said it this way when he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? They shall inherit the earth. Now, I realize that some of, some of uh, my friends might say, well, we inherit the earth here. The millennium is here. No, I don't think that's what it says. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, right? So I believe heaven is where um, God is now preparing a place for us. And that's where the millennium is. But once the millennium is over, the new earth is recreated and the meek do indeed inherit the earth. Um, God is going to restore planet earth to its original perfection. And what a glorious new earth that will be. Perhaps you'll remember some of the wonderful promises that Jesus gave to his disciples as he was returning to heaven. Remember what he said? John chapter 14, we've been referring to it a couple times here. John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, you can count on Jesus' word. When Jesus says, I will come again, he means what he says. He is going to come again. He is going to receive us unto himself. You know, I've spent a number of, uh, well, quite a bit of time in the Philippines. And the Philippines, uh, in the Philippines, they remember the promise made by General Douglas MacArthur. And by the way, one of the ways I learned to ingratiate myself to some of the Filipinos, not, I don't mean that in the wrong way, but, but um, I told them that I'm, I'm from Arkansas. I grew up in Arkansas. And, and did you know that Douglas MacArthur was from Little Rock, Arkansas? And... Um, Oh, Douglas MacArthur is a hero in the Philippines. Why? Because when the Japanese forced a retreat, Douglas MacArthur said, look, I'm coming back. I will return. Those were his words. I will return. And to a prisoner of war in some of those um, terrible conditions, those words were the hope that they held on to. The Filipino people held on to hope that Douglas MacArthur, they knew him to be a man of his word. And he did return. And there, the, the, the beach where he landed there on Leyte is one of the most, most uh, renowned places in, in all the islands of the Philippines, the, the thousands of islands in the Philippines, because that's where Douglas MacArthur fulfilled his promise to return. Listen, if we can, re, if we can, if we can trust a general from Arkansas, we ought to be able to trust the king of kings, shouldn't we? And Jesus says, I will come again and receive to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Look with me in the book of Revelation, how Revelation describes this scene of the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 through 3. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. And this is what the Bible says. And I saw, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. John, uh, Revelation 21 and verse 2 now. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice 
out of the heavens, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. If you skip down to verse 11, um, describing the city, it says, Having the glory of God, um, her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Verse 12, and had a great wall and high and had 12 gates and had the gates 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he, he told me to measure the city. He gave him a read and, and he measured the city. And we won't go into all those measurements, but as as some people have tried to figure out how ancient cities were measured and how these measurements might compare. These measurements represent something like a city 375 miles on each side. Now, it even describes it what appears to be some sort of a, a, a 307, the same distance high, which is something that we don't understand in the way we build cities today, right? But even with, the, even with just the square miles of 375 miles on a side, some have estimated that this city could hold as many as, as, as billions of inhabitants. And I can only imagine that God's architecture is way better than what we have down here, don't you think? What an amazing city it is. What an amazing city. He measured the wall there at verse 17, uh, 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first, and he goes through a whole list of, of precious stones there. In verse 21, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what John is trying to describe. He's trying to explain what he sees here. And I, did, I can't understand it, but I can believe it. Amen. I can accept it as true because... That's what God showed him because that's what was inspired for him to share. I can believe it's true. Oh, what a, what a city that is. What a, what a, what a promise of, of a place in that city. And uh, it says in verse 23, The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Oh, what an amazing, what amazing city. I suppose in the city... This is, a, this, is, this is probably the city that truly could be called the city that never sleeps, right? This is a city that, where it's day all the time. Not because the earth won't still have its rotation on its axis. No, not at all. But, but because with God there in the midst of the city, it's, it's bright, it's day all the time. There's no need of sun. There's no need of the moon. It's, that's not where we're going to go, by the way, to do our stargazing. It won't be at the New Jerusalem. Just just so that's not a confusion. Um, for, for learning about astronomy, we're going to have to go outside the city. That seems pretty clear. Well, I don't know. With our eyes, maybe we can just, maybe we can see anyway. Are you excited about this? Yeah. 
What an amazing description of what God has prepared. I want us to look at a couple more verses. Revelation 22 now, and verses 1 through 5. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of, of it, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bore twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Amazing. The river of life is coming out of the throne of God and, and uh, is clear as crystal. And the tree of life, this tree of life, it must be a massive tree. I mean, imagine how many of us are going to be eating off of it, right? It's got to be a big tree, and it spans all the way across, a trunk on one side of the river and a trunk on the other side of the river. And every month, there will always be something fresh to eat off the tree of life. By the way, do you know that's a symbol of God's Word? The leaves of the tree of life symbolize God's Word. You, it's only 66 books, but friends, just like the tree of life has food for every, every season, every month, God can always speak to us new things. Through his word. And so he says in verse 3, There shall be no more curse, but the, la- the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. Wow. They'll see his face. The face of God. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful promise. And by the way, by the way, you can count on these promises. I mean, he says in verse 6, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he which keeps the saying of the prophecies of this book. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day that's going to be. The new Jerusalem prepared as a, a bride adorned for her husband, prepared with, with uh, plenty of room for all of us, a place prepared for you and for me. There's no reason that we can't be there. There's no crime, no sickness, no hunger, no, z- no disease. We have a chance to see how God intended this world to be in the very beginning, to see planet Earth as it was originally designed to be, Jesus, the Creator, will be there to open to us the mysteries of life, of, of science. We'll have time to, to travel as, as we explore the universe. We'll always be learning new things with our perfect minds that we never forget anything. God made us with the capacity to continually lo- learn, to continually grow. We'll have time to be with our friends and loved ones. Are you looking forward to the time when, when distance and time are no longer factors in relationships? where it doesn't matter how long we spend together, we still have as much time left over as when we started. Oh, I think there's just going to be this freeing experience once we're freed from the shackles of a temporal time clock that ticks and our life is passing here on this earth. We, every Sabbath, will be praising God and singing with Jesus and the angels. And um, the, the question that we might ask is, um, how, can, how can we be certain to be there? How can I know that I'm going to be there? Well, you know, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All the promises, all the promises of God's word 
are meant for you if you belong to Jesus. I like the way um, Paul said to the Corinthians, it's in 2 Corinthians, he says, and all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. And what that means is, friends, if you are Christ, if you're in Christ, then everything is certain for you. That's what it means. You can know. These promises were written for you. I can know. These promises are written for Chester Clark. Not because I'm so great, but because, because Jesus has allowed me to be in him. And when Jesus, Jesus, my older brother, my adopted older brother, who's adopted me into the family, when, when, I, when, I, when Jesus sees me, when God sees me, he sees Jesus. And I become the heir of all of these promises, all of these great things. Um, the promises are ours if we will only accept them. If we will only allow God's promises to be ours. Um, if we'll only accept Jesus as our Savior, then everything that God promised to Isaac uh, or to Abraham will be ours. Everything God promised will be ours. So I'm thankful tonight that as I, as I get so excited about all of these promises and prophecies, I can be certain and you can be certain that that we can be there. Not because we're good, not because we're better than other people, not because of anything that we can do, but simply if we'll trust in Jesus. If we'll allow Him to change our hearts and lives, if we'll follow His word, if we'll, if we'll seek to have His fear, the fear of God implanted in our hearts so that we seek to please Him and not to please man, oh, we can be certain, we can be confident that we will be there. You see, as we study the Bible, it's interesting to notice that the first three chapters of the Bible tells us how God created the world and the paradise home for Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve lost it all. Genesis, first three chapters. That's the story that we find there. But the, the good news is that the Bible didn't end after the first three chapters of Genesis. Amen? He didn't just tell us how we got into this mess. The last three chapters of the Bible, the last three chapters of Genesis, of Revelation, I'm sorry, they tell us how God is going to restore all things. They give us a preview of God's plan to restore what Adam and Eve lost. They give us a preview of a beautiful tomorrow where our fondest dreams can come true. You know, the story is told of a, of a, sh a boat transporting sheep that was lost in fog on the North Sea. And the, the boat drifted aimlessly for three days. They were, they were, because of the fog, they couldn't, they couldn't calculate their position. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know which way they were drifting. They could only wait for the weather to clear. And one day, on the third day, the, the, uh, the sheep aboard the boat refused to eat the hay that was given to them. They, 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 didn't want to, they didn't want anything to do with that hay that they'd been eating for some time as they'd been on this boat. They continued to wander over instead to the side of the boat and look off the side of the boat and, and bleat and baa and, and make a ruckus. And the sailors were confused. Why don't they eat and why are they all on this side of the boat? And then the fog lifted. And they had drifted right up against the Irish countryside. And there was freshly cut hay over there in those pastures. And while the men on the ship couldn't see it, the sheep searcher knew it was there. And they had smelled that fresh hay and they weren't interested in the old hay any longer. Isn't that a little bit what heaven is supposed to be like? When we get a, when we get a smell, a sense of heaven, 
we adjust our priorities. We turn our focus from the things of this world to the something better that God has to offer us. When we get a sniff of eternity, everything else fits into place. We long for another land. We want to be on eternity's shore. Are you homesick for heaven today? If there's anything that the book of Revelation tells us, is that God has a wonderful tomorrow planned for us. And if we can only catch, our, catch a glimpse of that vision, if we only can only turn our eyes onto what God has prepared for those who love Him, oh, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. We won't be so worried anymore about the things that we've been worried about because our priorities will be different. We'll be looking over the side of the ship. We'll be looking for that promised land. We'll be, we'll be praying and working and seeking to be a part of that eternity. Do you want to be there? Amen. You want to say, Lord, I don't want to miss heaven for the world. I don't want anything to keep me from living in glory with you forever. You want to say to him tonight, Lord, I want to be there. Is that your desire? You want to say that? You know, the Bible ends, the book of Revelation ends with an appeal. And I think it's very important, it's very appropriate to end with an appeal. Revelation 22 and verse 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say what? Come. Come. There's an invitation. The Spirit is working on your heart today. And you're sensing that He wants you there. The bride, the body of Christ, gives the invitation as well. Oh, friends, let's not miss out on it. Let's listen to that invitation. Let's heed that invitation. Let's not receive the grace of God in vain. I know many of you have made decisions and are making decisions to, to readjust your priorities, to make sure that you're studying God's Word and following God's Word and, and keeping His approval as more important than man's approval. I know it's not easy. It wasn't easy to follow the truth in Daniel's day, was it? You think it was easy in Noah's day? You think it was easy in Jesus' day? Has there ever been a time when it was popular to follow what God was doing here in this fallen world? But listen, friends, if you just keep your eyes on Jesus, if you'll just keep your eyes on the prize, if you'll just allow your mind to be, to be set on things above, Paul says, set your affections on things above, not on this earth. If you'll do that, friends, your priorities will be straight. It'll be easier to make the right decisions. That's, that's, the, that's the blessing that I've experienced. Uh, your table leaders have a, a response sheet once again. And um, so I'm going to invite them to just give that to you. And um, on, on, uh, on one side it says, my answer to Jesus my answer to Jesus, and I want to just give you another opportunity, you know. If Revelation ends with an invitation, then don't you think this seminar ought to end with an invitation too? That's the way it should be. And so I want to just give you an opportunity to, to, to experience that. Um, are there extras anywhere? Any extras anywhere? I think there's some people who might need them. Um, we need some more down here. And I could take one, too. I got up here without one, so if you don't mind, um, let's give the extras to where there's not enough. And, and this is what it says. 
if you would like to experience um, heaven, this is what the first box says. I look forward to being with Jesus for eternity and experiencing the blessings of heaven. If that's your uh, true statement, then check that box. Number two says, I accept by faith Christ's death for me and his forgiveness for my sins. Friends, I can't leave here without giving you another opportunity. Maybe someone here today hasn't. And today you want to make that decision. Don't wait another day. I want to be baptized or rebaptized. The next box. I would like to be baptized or rebaptized. If you've learned about biblical baptism, if you've learned about what God wants to do and what that what that ceremony symbolizes in your life, and you want to experience that, just, just check that box. I am interested in learning more about the Bible and its teachings. If you'd be interested in, in some way or another, having continued studies or, or lessons or, or more seminars, just, just m- note that there. I have questions and would like to speak to someone. And, you know, you know, there's room there below if you'd like to write some of your questions or give, give us, make sure you give us our contact information if you have questions. And then I want to just ask you to fill out a little survey there. If you would like to know about future events and activities such as this one, just check that. Or if you are interested in other things, health or music or other special programs, uh, just un- indicate that. I am interested in getting involved or becoming a member of the Dalton Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you would like to become a part of a vibrant, growing family of people who are studying these, st- these things from week to week, then that's... Uh, your choice as well. You can indicate that. If you have a query request, mention that. And I just want to, I want to make sure that you get your name there if there's, if you have something that you're interested in, in hearing about in the future or a special prayer request or a question, make sure you get your name and contact information. And um, I want to pray. I want to pray that God will seal these decisions. Shall we pray together? This is our last prayer together. At least of this official series, and um, I just want to pray that God is going to, God is going to continue the good work that he's begun in each of our hearts. That's what you'd like to pray for tonight. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, tonight we just thank you for heaven, for the promise you yourself thought it was important for us to know about, so you told us that you're going to prepare a place for us. You've told us through the prophets of all ages about the restoration of all things. And so today, Father, we've looked at just a few of those passages as we've looked at some of those promises. Father, I pray tonight that those promises might apply to every single person in this room. That there might not be one person, not even one, who has not given their lives to Jesus Christ and are therefore made heirs of the promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Oh, Father, I pray that we might not leave here without having made our, our calling and our election sure, without having made our choice to live for Jesus Christ. Lord, we've studied from the beginning of, of these prophetic books, we've studied how, how you have told us that there's a decision we have to make, who we're going to obey, who we're going to follow. And I pray that as a result of our time spent together in this seminar, that we might all, every single one of us, be more determined, more inclined to follow your word and your will for our lives. Lord, please work a miracle in my heart. Place that fear of God in my heart that I might be less concerned about what people think and more concerned about what Jesus thinks. That I might honor him and obey him and follow him. 
And Father, I pray that for every other person under the sound of my voice tonight. Lord, you know each situation, you know each heart, you know each home, you know each struggle, each difficulty. You've said that your servants are not above the Lord, and you, you, you suffered here on this earth. People didn't always understand you, but Lord, you've promised that you're going to make all things new. And we want to be a part of that special day. And so I pray that you'll seal every decision that's been made tonight and throughout this seminar. For those who are preparing for baptism, Lord, just make this a beginning of a new or a deeper walk with you by faith. And someday very soon, when the clouds are parting and the, the Son of Man is seen coming in His glory with all His holy angels, Father, may every single one of us be able to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him. He will save us. And may we find our place in that holy city. We ask it all in the wonderful name of the only one who can make it happen. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.